0: It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, inventor of a post-it note, and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Hey,
1: Coach, how are you doing? Thanks for listening today. And right out of the gate, I want to caution you against uh, judging a book by its cover with the title... Revolving around the idea of small colleges, this is a podcast not just for small colleges. This is an episode that whether you are a Division I assistant, a Division Three head coach, you're a GA looking to become a coach, or you're a Division I athletic director listening to this, it all applies to you, and we are so lucky To be talking about this topic today with uh, a gentleman I've actually known now for several years. I got to know him when he was an assistant baseball coach and then became a head coach, then became an athletic director, and just recently got his doctorate. And so I've sort of uh, been able to be in touch with him and watch his career grow as he's taken these different steps through his career. And the gentleman in question is Rob Ramsire, and he is the athletic director and uh, in the administration at Heston College. Heston College is a two-year private institution that is in Kansas, and uh, again, I've just had the opportunity to uh, do some work there as well as get to know Rob as he's gone through his different career phases, and he recently got his doctorate, as I mentioned. And now he has uh, really gone into this deep exploration of culture and and what it's like to develop culture within a small college environment and what what goes into that and and how does the athletic department fit the mission at a college and remember at the, a couple of seconds ago I mentioned that if you were a Division One head coach or an athletic director. That uh, you know, this on the surface may not seem to apply to you. Except that many of you, if you're at a large college now, will be at a at a small college at some point. Maybe you're the assistant coach at a Division one, and you'll become the head coach, or eventually an athletic director at a small school. Because there are far more small colleges and, than there are big ones, and so odds are that you're going to be at a small college and. When you go to a small college, there more than anywhere else, you have the opportunity to really mesh your culture athletically with the culture of the school. You're also going to have more power and opportunity to develop a unique culture that helps drive recruiting and and drive some of those other things that I hear coaches talking all the time about when it comes to kind of being in control and, and putting your stamp on a program. This is what this is all about and dr ramsayre has done a lot of study in this area about what successful colleges have done to 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 make this happen on their campus and what are some of the mistakes he sees being made. And so that was the conversation that he agreed to have with us. And I'm, I'm very thankful that he did because it's a great conversation. And we started it out really with a simple question of what was it that got him interested so much in this topic of developing and fostering the right culture and the right mission within an athletic department on a small college campus?
2: I, I started in small college coaching as an assistant and one thing I saw as a young probably pretty judgmental know-it-all assistant is I thought there were a lot of these these small colleges out there many of them with the faith-based whose athletic departments from my perception by no means represented the the mission of the institution and one thing I found out early on in my career is, is how hard recruiting is in identifying students that we call it fiddle oftentimes which I don't love that term. I think it comes down to finding students that want what your institution has to offer. But realizing, finding that balance of kids that could really play that also wanted the experience of the institution was pretty tough. And that's actually what led me to connect with you, gosh, I don't know, nine, ten years ago when we started yeah. working together from wow. time to yeah. time. And and it's what led me into this interest in, in, in my dissertation research where what I did is um, I visited three colleges, all under 1,500 students that offered at least 12 varsity sports, and I talked to their presidents, their athletic directors, their faculty athletic reps, and then three coaches. And I just asked them to define their institutional culture, to define their, their athletic department culture, and talk about what was important to them. And I had these themes emerge of what, at least in the context of this study, were the important factors of organizational culture and athletic departments at small colleges. And I'm working on how to build it out from there now, but the stuff I found there surprised me. And yeah, I was going to
1: ask you, what what were some yeah. of the sort of the big uh, takeaways that we can sort of grap- grasp onto right at the start of this conversation that it would be sort of the headlines of your findings?
2: Yeah, I, I would highlight two. And one of them, I think you could probably assume, and the other one was not something I expected. So one was cl- clear uh, providing clarity in terms of the important values and having okay. consistency from the institution to the athletic department and it didn't need to be said the same it didn't need to be exactly the same, but there had to be understanding okay. uh, so so for example, one school and I call him mission college in the in the research I gave him a, a a fake name sure but they could all verbatim say their mission statement and say this is what we're about, and it was a faith-based mission. And I could recite the mission statement within 30 minutes of being on campus because I heard it from everybody. And it wasn't one of those things where oh, this guy from the outside's coming in. Let's just show off. It didn't. It didn't feel right, like that. Right. Um, but there was absolute clarity in that value. And at some other places I went, there was confusion around that. And so that was one, which I think that's one thing we can always think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But the, the next one was organizational structure. And I think this is important for ADs, but also coaches to think about as they're looking at how they recruit. So right. um, or, with organizational structure, there was really two ways. One was kind of a formal way and one was informal. The, the formal was integrating coaches into committee work. So like, for example... Um, one thing we do at Heston, that's an example of that, is we have the student success team where there's representatives from faculty, from student life, from athletics, from financial aid that meets every other week to talk about students that are struggling and how we can help them. We have a coach that that sits on that committee. So he's getting to know, and it's, it's a he this year, it's our baseball coach, he's getting to know faculty members and student life folks and they're all working together um, to better the student experience and now that person's more connected. so. So ways that can happen structurally is important. Another one that was prevalent is everywhere I talk, or two of the three places I talked to, the AD sat on the cabinet of the institution. Mm-hmm. So it was with vice presidents and the president. And we have that structure here. And I always had a little hesitation because I was worried about the perception of athletics taking over the place. You know, And there, there's always that tension. Uh, between athletics and academics on some level, and if you don't think it's at your institution, you're probably lying. Uh, But what that did in these cases, and it's done at our place, and I never thought about it really until I did this study, is it provided peer accountability. So the AD had to justify decisions um, to the CFO, to the admissions director, to that whole group to get buy-in to make any progress, and what that did is built an institutional perspective. Okay. As opposed to at one place, the pres- the AD reported to the president, but it wasn't on the cabinet, and only had to prove the case to one person instead of the whole leadership team.
1: Okay, so I'm going to stop you there, because I know there's yeah. more points, but you yeah. we went over the first two, um, the importance of mission and be able to being able to define your institution, uh-huh. uh, whether you're an athletic director or a coach, yeah. and then the organi- organizational structure... Yeah. And you gave the example of a coach being on a committee, and Uh here's what I could hear. Here's what I could hear: the coach who's already working 16 hours a day, and in the middle of a tough season, and all the things that the school or that that they ask him to do, as well as the uh, just what his or her sport demands that they do. Yeah, you know, so I could I just hear them saying, well, "Come on, a committee. What what is the value of that? Why should I, as a coach, care about sitting on some stupid committee?" Your answer to that would be:
2: It allows you to understand the culture of the place more clearly, which in turn clarifies your recruiting message. And I don't have proof and data for this yet. Right. But If I was a betting man, I'd also say that leads to better retention, which leads to less time recruiting in the future. Okay. Because i think so, what so I, how yeah. so how hang on
1: one second so how yeah. does that happen so by sitting on a committee you understand the culture and that's going to help in recruiting mm-hmm. how 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 would you and you've been a coach and now you're an athletic director uh-huh. so you have that perspective and you've also done this research how does that happen give me like the practical effect of of you know how that how that translates into real world recruiting
2: yeah at, at i think I'd answer that at first in the terms of roster construction. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the rosters we have, something we talk to our coaches about is you need 80% of your kids that are on your team to want the experience we have to offer as an institution, right. especially at small colleges where, you know, if I mean, I know you talk about this to your clients, um, you're right. recruiting kids and this, they come here and this is their home. Right. So on a small campus with just several hundred people, if, you're, if you don't connect with that place, number one, that kid's miserable and we don't want that. And then number two, it's awfully hard to maximize your potential on the playing field in the classroom if you're, you're just not a happy camper in any shape or form. So what, what I think it means is the more clearly you understand the environment on campus and not just among your team, the more clearly you understand the culture, the more people you know, the more clearly and honestly you can sell the ex- whole experience the, the student will have or offer as opposed to just within your athletic program. And if there's, right. if there's one trigger for me now as an athletic director, it's when I see coaches only selling their program. And I say, folks, right. we're not getting it when we're just doing that. It has to be a broader sell at a place well, like ours. And,
1: and, you know, Rob, where I see that um, – um, well, is it Rob or do I need to call you Dr. Ramseyer? <laughs> you can call me Rob. Okay, thank <laughs> that's you, that's Rob. Cool. Um, do, so here's how I see that taking place as you were outlining that what I kind of how I would translate that is you have a um, a coach that coaches at a very rural small school for example mm-hmm. and um, they're from you know a city like Chicago or Washington DC or Baltimore New York and so they're used to big cities and they have their friends and contacts in big cities and they can go fly into you know again a Chicago and see, you know 80 club teams play instead of just you know four or something at a smaller tournament and they're trying to recruit large city kids out to their rural university and sometimes that just isn't that just what that athlete and that student's view of the world is it's so mm-hmm. much of a transition so much of a shock so would that fit into that category that you just described in terms of like the value and and um yeah, you know, and just making sure that you're recruiting the right kids.
2: Yeah, and I think when you I think a lot of this goes on to I encourage people's recruiting style to be very blunt and almost talking them out of coming, saying, Here's mm-hmm. exactly who we are. And the more clearly and the more honestly we can define that, the more I think kids oftentimes and their parents can also discern on their end of hey, that might be a fit for me or not. So right. so in your situation Absolutely, because if that coach is coming to a small rural town from the big city, as an AD, I look at that and say, great, I need to figure out a way to really get you connected on campus to truly understand who we are, just because you've right. never been in our co- in our context. Right. Right. I even had that transition coming from, I came down here as a coach from Mid-American Nazarene, which is in the metropolitan area of Kansas City. Totally different animal, recruiting to Mid-American Nazarene as opposed to Heston, Kansas, where we're a town of 4,000, 45 minutes outside a city, you know? Right.
1: Right. And so and then on the first point, the mission and the definition, and we sort of actually probably touched on this in that last exchange,
2: uh-huh. but
1: um, you know, the importance of knowing how to define your school and what to define it as. Do you find that coaches in the recruiting process and just sort of how they view their school? Do they do that correctly? I mean, because what I find is that a lot of times they'll either apologize for it, or it wouldn't uh-huh. be maybe the fit that they would want, and so they feel like, well, I can't recruit here because it's not as big as the school that I went to, or it's yeah. more expensive than the school, or, or you know, just all these things that they begin to define for themselves, and then that gets projected onto their message out to the to the recruit.
2: Uh huh. I think one thing I've learned, and even my research question in this, in my dissertation, was actually said, what are the per- perceptions of the important factors of athletic department culture at small colleges? Mm. We're all defined by our experiences and our perceptions of those experiences. Right. So I see my role as an AD because I think coaches with no malice, no intent, right. they're, they're selling things from their perspective and their program. My job is to say, here's exactly who we are. And, and here's our values and make sure those get communicated in interview processes right. and, um, yeah, and just throughout the whole thing so they're selling the total package or else they're just going to sell themselves and their program and assume, yeah, I was hired here, I, I feel like I fit everybody else is saying the same thing too. You know? right. Does that make sense? Right.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we went through those two and I stopped you just so I wanted to define it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so go ahead and, and if there are more on the list. So we did <laughs> well, mission the, and the organizational structure.
2: Yeah, there's an interesting and I'm not sure how, how much this connects to recruiting. Um, I'm sure it does, but there was another kind of informal organizational structure where people started using the term standing in the gap. Mm-hmm. And what they talked about there was, was individuals that just naturally connected with the community. So the, the colleges I went to at one point in their history had a strong connection to some sort of Christian denomination. Okay. And people that were from the denomination or alums of the institution could connect culturally and understand the culture a lot better, which makes sense, right? I mm-hmm. mean, they had experienced it on some level and those people were able to build bridges and help connect other people to um, the campus, which helped in understanding. So a story uh, as an example, there was a coach at one of these schools who was an alum and came from the denomination, and they had had some trouble with faculty. There were issues going on, so the AD brings her to, to meet with the faculty, and she said, she could feel the tension as she walked in the room, but as soon as she started talking, everybody relaxed. And they said, you know, no, we're, you know we're not mad at you, you're one of us, but those other coaches, you know, that kind of thing. And this person would say, well, you know, th- these folks care too and can really bridge that gap uh, when talking to faculty and then talking to coaches. So those people were key in um, really playing, communicating with both sides to create understanding and so that's a big thing in my ID role and I don't know if ADs listen to your podcast very much. Uh, but in Everybody hiring, listens to my yeah. podcast Rob. <laughs> no what offense. are you talking no about? Offense. No offense. I do from time to time. We have young uh... grade school
1: children that tune into this podcast. <laughs> Future so, coaches. Are you kidding
2: me? Yeah it's something that I think about in our hiring processes is, is our staff construction of do I have enough individuals that stand in the gap because mm. at smaller schools like us and when I talk to other ADs um, we're not getting as many alum applicants as we used to. Um, so I'm trying to be very proactive in reaching out to some of those folks saying, "Hey, who do you know about so I can have that that dynamic among my staff so
1: yeah so so I'll, I'll, again, I'll stop you there um, with those three for the for the coach at the large school that is listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about some things that on the surface, would be specific to a small school. Yeah. What application or what lessons does a a coach at a larger school, Division One, or just a bigger, you know, seven eight thousand plus student school, what do they take away from this, or what what could you tell them uh, is important that you learn that would apply at their institution and in, in their recruiting efforts?
2: Yeah. So there's there's a quote I read years ago out of a book called Games Colleges Play. It's written by. Um, a guy, a higher ed historian named J.R. Thielen. and okay. in the first page of the book, he calls um, intercollegiate athletics American higher education's peculiar institution. They're, they're, they're and by pre- the way, we'll,
1: for for anyone that's listening, I, we're, we'll put a link to the book in the show notes of the podcast, okay, cool. so you can go and if you if you're wanting to read it, you could uh, go onto Amazon and and order it.
2: Okay. So, yes. Yeah, sorry. sorry. The peculiar institution, and he he calls intercollegiate athletics American higher education's peculiar institution. Their presence is pervasive, yet their proper balance with academics remains puzzling. And Mm. that has been a conversation since the first varsity intercollegiate athletic competition in the United States in 1852 when they were talking about cheating and ineligible players and illegal recruiting. So none of the issues we deal with now are that different. I don't Mm. care the level we're at. Um, now, there's more money at stake. Um, sure. at, at one point in this research, I, I read a, a quote from a college president in the like late 70s who was lamenting the first college football coach getting paid hundred grand. and we've hit this tipping point where you can't believe it and where our values. Um, it's funny to look at now, but I think looking at culture, whatever it may be, no matter the level, we should all be educators, and we should also understand that we're part of this natural pull and tug where it's just part of the system of uh, 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 in which we live in higher ed
1: and and you know we're all where I will sort of make this link is I see because we talk about you know smaller schools being able to define themselves and how important that is in the process uh-huh. for a recruit to look at them, or for parents to look at them and and say, okay, that's what they're all about, that's what we want. And yet at the, at the division one level, because I know a lot of small college coaches might think, oh, D1, they've got the huge facility, the bigger budgets, the you know eight practice fields. I wish I had that. Recruiting would be easy. And yet what I find is some of the same things that a smaller school would struggle with when it comes to defining themselves um, or, or having that person to stand in the gap. You know what? The same things are required. To make a decision to go to a big school, because if you're a, a top-tier athlete and you're getting recruited by four or five Division One schools, guess what? They're they all kind of look and sound the same. <laughs> yeah. and you might have different conferences. You might have some. You know, obviously, campuses are going to be unique. But what we find and what we hear in our research is those kids come away with you know after their visits and. There's no clear favorite yeah or if there is it's you know it's not based on uh, you know a good reason and they'll switch decisions and you know it, so the, those big college coaches are facing I think some of the same issues and the same str- you know, struggles uh, and yeah. have the same requirements for definition that the small schools.
2: Yeah do. here's an interesting now I, I didn't research this, but I read about it as I was working on this. There was a term in research by two guys named Jackie and Camo where they called, um, called intercollegiate athletics at one institution a cultural cover-up. And hmm. they did a case study at one large football program on the West Coast. They didn't say who. I assume it was a Pac-12 program. Right. But what they said was they, you know, they do- dove in deep with some, some of the players and coaches from this program. And they said during the recruitment process, they said all the right things, you know, in terms of the, right. the academic values and the college experience, all this kind of stuff. The, the, the slogans on the wall talked about student athlete, you know, that kind of stuff. Right, right. But once they got into the program, what they found is that often student athletes would have to choose between uh, like certain academic programs mm-hmm. or their athletics because the system was set up to where they couldn't do both well. And they called that the cultural cover-up, right? Because there was, I, as I read it at least, there was no right. intent by these coaches saying, to be dishonest. Right. But the, what they were selling, they couldn't actually follow through on.
1: Yeah. And well, I, it, I, th- yeah. I think
2: that's an interesting dynamic when you think about recruiting. Are we looking at our, ourselves and our situation realistically? Or are we living in this idealized world that we can't actually execute?
1: Yeah, and and sometimes it's, um, you know, beyond the idealized, the, the, the idyllic world that you just mentioned, um, I think it goes down to something more, you know, more base is that there's a disconnect with a lot of college coaches yeah. in how they speak and what they focus on in the recruiting process versus what the athlete and the parent wants out of that process and, and what they're mm. looking for. So the coach might be talking about their great history and the fact of how many uh, uh, you know, kids on their team made all conference during their three, you know, their past three championship seasons, or whatever the case. And meanwhile, the athletes looking and listening and saying, "Well, okay, I should be impressed with that." But you know what? Really, I just want to see the dorms and make sure that <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to like living there. And so there's this yeah. disconnect we find between, uh, you know, between coaches and the athletes that they're that they are recruiting.
2: And I think there's one other disconnect I see cuz I I also see the institutional disconnect where coaches want to sell the sport, which is great. That, that's part right. of the sell.
1: Sure. And
2: sure. kids want to kids want to see who they're going to be friends with at the end of the day, I think. And are they going to be comfortable with those right. people? And then institutionally, I also think are we selling our mission? Are we are we providing as realistic snapshot as we can? Cuz like one place um, like I know your research says is as much time as they can they can spend in the dorm room and they don't care to go to a class. I agree, right. but we also think, gosh, we have chapel on campus. We have classes sure. that are hard. We'd rather them sit there and even if they're bored, see it and understand that reality a little bit. So there's also that spoke in the wheel. I think you got to think about.
1: Sure, and you know, and at the end of the day, I mean, you can present research. I can present research. Yeah. It still has to. There does have to be an element of it where, you feel like your, um you know it's your personality and what you value is coming through in that visitor the way that you set that up and what you end up emphasizing i completely uh i completely get that yeah and uh so as long as there's a balance i mean it's not i don't want every school to be doing it you know robotically the way dan tudor says to do it or you know, there is that. You know, well, your, that your stuff does tree. work.
2: Your stuff does work, Dan. So it's tempting just to do well, I, well, I appreciate
1: that, but but at the same time, I don't <laughs> want to take coaches' personalities out of it. And as long as there's a balance, as long as you're listening, you know, here's what I would do: is I would, for any coach that's listening to this, and you know, on that note, saying, "Well, should we put kids in class, or should we give them more time with the team?" Uh-huh. Ask the athlete. What we find is that a lot of uh, a lot of families, a lot of kids come into a campus. Whether it's a small school or a large school, they're a football player, they're a softball player, doesn't matter. What we find is that they come to campus and they've answered a lot of the questions already. I think with a lot of kids in this generation, they're not gonna come to campus not knowing academically if it's the right fit or that they could be happy there, or location. So they're coming in, what we find, they come in with about 80%, you know, they're 80% there. And so they maybe started looking at 10 schools and now it's down to four and and that when they come to campus or when they're talking to the coach what they're really trying to figure out is okay you've got the classes you've got the major you have the location you have you know the team i i've done this research i mean they can all pull it up on their phones you know instantly Mm -hmm. now uh i'm here on campus to figure out does it feel right and Mm -hmm. so um what is it that creates that feeling which you know if you've Anybody that's listening that has been through one of our workshops, you know that we really focus on the feeling part of it because that's one thing that I frankly, coaches and or colleges don't do very well. Is they mm-hmm. they're very good at the process and they're very good at showing what they have, but it doesn't create that feeling. And that's I think where the some of the yeah the disconnect is. And
2: I and I think at the end of the day, and somebody said this once, maybe been you, but I think. Kids know within 15 minutes of leaving their visit if they're going to say yes or not.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. It's just, well, it's whatever yeah.
2: that feeling is, and heck, they probably know all in their visit when they're hanging out with the team. You know that kind of thing.
1: No, they do, and and we get you know, we get stories of you know, and again, whether it's a small school or a large school, but this this all goes as we're talking about this. This goes to sort of defining who the what the school's all about and understanding how these kids make decisions. We get kids that will tell us. A third of the way through the visit, I knew that wasn't the right place. And yet, they don't come up to the coach and say, Hey, coach, I'm going to save you the time. I've just decided it's wrong. They don't do that. What they do is they act nice, and they're polite, and they smile, and they go through the whole thing. And, yeah, coach, we're interested. Thank you. And they get back in the car, and they look at each other and say, We're never going to come there. No way. And yet, again, they don't tell the coach because Mm -hmm. I don't want to make the coach mad. Or, frankly, I don't want to have the coach not recruit me anymore because it's still sort of fun to be recruited. And... My worry goes back to that small college coach or or the D one coach, listening to that kid and Are you still you know How was the visit Oh, it was really nice, coach. Are you, you know, we still on your list. Yeah, coach, still looking at you. Mm-hmm. And the coach goes back and says, Hey, you know, we're still on the list. They're they're seriously considering us. Mm-hmm. And many of the times we find that's not the case. Yeah. So a couple sense. of a couple of things, um, and I should mention too that you're going to be speaking at the National Collegiate Recruiting yeah. Conference that we have coming up. Uh, July 2018 in Boston and so I don't want to I don't have you give away all of your Research and secrets (laughs) and what you're going to be talking about because one of the reasons I'm excited to hear you is that you know What you're going to talk about is what I think is part of the missing piece with many coaches in the way that they approach Defining their uh, their school, but let me ask you just two or three quick sort of wrap-up questions So you've done all this research now you've come away with this understanding From a practical level, what is the first thing you would tell a new small college coach to do? Or just let's put it in the sense that it's an assistant coach at whatever size school they're at. And they're trying to figure out how do I start structuring organizationally, in my mind, how I would run a program. What would you say is the sort of the top one or two keys? Uh, if, you, if you want to practically start doing that more effectively.
2: Yeah, I think one of the first things I tell, I'm starting to tell our coaches, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just really learning, is you need to get to know where you're at. And, like, I'm, I'm hiring a baseball coach right now. Our coach is leaving at the end of the year he's taking an AD job. And we're hiring a new coach. And I'm shocked, as I'm sifting through resumes, the lack of curiosity about who we are. And the hmm. lack of working at saying, you know, who are we about? And one coach in, our, in my research, uh, when I asked him for final thoughts, he said something fascinating and this connects. He goes, I think culture and just that the athletic department supports the mission because does it get bigger? Does it do its own thing? Does it go rogue? It's here to be a team player and part of the organization, not just to take care of itself. Wow. And I'm going to start sharing that with new coaches as I hire If I'm going to help them get to know us and the place and the athletic department as a whole so that they can sell it
1: Um, can i can i jump in because you just reminded me of something here's another practical thing for coaches that i would advise is on that same note because it's all about sort of understanding you know the culture so the coach in this case understanding the culture of the athletic department let me let me go back to that campus visit we were just talking Uh about do you know that i've I've been on a lot of campus visits i've I've walked through the tours and, and evaluating on certain campuses kind of how they do things and I've watched coaches do it and with our own kids um, as they've started to go through college we've been the typical parent on a college tour and you know what never happens that doesn't make any sense to me is the tour starts I mean so tour starts at 10 o'clock in the morning boom it's it's 10 oh one they're they're off we're off and running around campus not once has a coach or uh, or anybody in admissions ever stopped with a group, or sometimes it's just me walking around campus with them. They never ask why I'm there. They never ask, hmm. What are you looking for? Where else have you been? okay, what didn't you like about that place? Well, mm-hmm. so what are you hoping that you see here and that's a five that's taking five or ten minutes at the start to do exactly what I hear you suggesting yeah. people do Rob is understand where they're coming from and understand we talk about understanding the college's mission what about if, if coaches try to understand Stand, yeah. the the mission of that family and because it's going to be different from family to family and that yeah. rarely happens so yeah. that just struck me as you were no, talking yeah, about that yeah that
2: makes sense and that kind of ties into what i'd say the next step is i think coaches as or assistant coaches have to get to know and how are they talking to the kids and saying, what do you like? What do you don't like? Help me understand the place right. and the program and where we're at. Kind of like those surveys you send out. When I wasn't working for you, I kind of just copied that survey and sent it sure. to kids just to get feedback and understand their experiences too. I mean, right. you can't get enough data early on as a coach to figure out what you're selling and how you're going to go about it.
1: Our lawyers will be in touch, by the way, Rob, about <laughs> that. Um, OK, so my second, my second question is let's say you're at the small school that is successful and very well-defined because there are very well-defined schools out yeah. there, but you aren't okay with that definition. And here's where I'm thinking is that I get to go to schools where the tuition, for example, is 50, 60, $70,000 a year at a small school, small liberal arts college, and I know that there are coaches that are very uncomfortable with that, that either they didn't go to that school or their family didn't have the kind of money that it would require to, to attend that kind of school and afford that kind of school. And I hear privately them say, you know, I don't know that I can ask a kid to commit here because make, like right now on my coaching salary, I couldn't, go, I couldn't afford to go to my, the, own, the, the school that I, that I coach at now. -hmm. And that psychologically begins to sort of play in their mind. Like I don't know if I can recruit here, because how could I ask someone to pay that much, or how could I ask somebody to come this far away from home, or how could I, um, how could I ask somebody to that wants to be a business major? And I know my school has a very mediocre business department. What would you say to that small college coach? Because again, I'm 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 putting that back into, you know, how do you define the mission? So you defined it, you understand it, but then now you aren't comfortable with it personally.
2: Yeah, I, I have a couple thoughts on that, and some of them are probably pretty um, trite, if that's the right word. Sure. Of why did that coach go work there at the beginning if they didn't believe in mm-hmm. it? Because um, they needed the job. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but they want to get their foot in the door. Yeah, and and I I question, I get it, but I also yeah. question the integrity of that decision. Um, Unless they were <laughs> recruited to the school under false pretenses, so I'd, I'd put it back on that coach a little bit. Um, but number two, at the end of the day, I think there's an ethical decision to make too, as you're looking at, especially especially if you're at an NAID 2 you know place like ours, if you're looking at EFCs and you're looking at what they can't afford, I made that ethical decision at times of, hey, you'd really help me, but this isn't in your best interest. And, right, and we'll right. move on for that, because the flip side of the coin on the administrative end, as we 're making budget decisions, I mean federal government and state support is going down that 's one mm-hmm. of the reasons costs are growing going up, and closures are a real thing and yeah. one of the one of the contexts for my study is in two thousand and fifteen moody 's investor service predicted that closure rates would triple and merger rates would double at small colleges by the end of 2017. And so as an administrator working in this context of absolutely we want as much accessibility as we can, but here's the reality of working with if that's hard for you, I get it, but maybe we're not the place for you. And I don't know if the closures and mergers are at that rate, but it's certainly a real thing. I mean, in the last two months I've heard about or three months, Grace University in Omaha. There was St. Gregory's in Oklahoma. Some of the Nazarene schools merged on the on the East Coast. There's a lot of that going on. Um, and I think coaches, and in my study, they were very aware of that, of everybody's future is not guaranteed institutionally, right. and how do we work at that. So I, I get your question, and I also say, you know, if you don't believe in it, don't take the job.
1: <laughs> right. Sure. Sure. Well, and, and my my advice to that coach that's yeah. listening and maybe is facing that quandary or has thought that from time to time is, you know, your job as a coach, and you can tell me if you agree with this, Rob, I don't yeah. know if I've ever mentioned this to you, but so my, my philosophy would be if um, if you don't, your job is not to make the decision for the family. Your job is to be a representative for that college and that athletic department and mm-hmm. and you know if it's not even if it's not something if it's something that you have questions about how could I afford this or would I really want to go to a school here well you can't make you can't step in and make that decision for that family your job is to say basically to take the attitude look if you're going to spend this amount of money or if you're going to go to a to school here's why you should come here and be an advocate for why you're going to make it a good experience, or why they should yeah. want to come uh, play under you? Uh, that's, I think, at the core, that's you know, that's why you're hired at the school. That's your uh-huh. job for the school is to be that representative. Um, so that's kind of where what how I would define that. Yeah,
2: is, I, I think yeah. mostly I agree with you. In this role I'm in now, uh, my perspective's changed a little bit on the level of. There are I think there's really smart debt and there's really bad debt. And mm-hmm. if you're if you can't afford it, you're coming and loaning out the house to be an early childhood education major, I don't think that's a great investment. Sure. That's sure. not gonna pay itself back. And when you're looking at first generation college students or or people that just may not have the understanding of higher ed in the process, I do think there's an ethical obligation for us to discuss that with them. On the flip side, man, if you're coming here and you're pre-med and you you have high ACTs. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good investment. We can right. provide you a high quality of education. So, generally, I agree with what you said, but I do think there's some nuance into it where we do hold some responsibility on our end.
1: Right. Okay. So, last question as we as we start to wrap up, and that would be that you know, and you sort of touched on the future of small colleges. Um, you know, in the fact that you know in some in some ways there's many experts that would agree there are too many colleges mm-hmm. and so you're starting to see closures, mergers, or at least serious discussion about hey, we need to change course here or else the college is going to close. Mm-hmm. Um, what so for for again, the coach that's listening or even for the athletic director that's listening at their school and they love their school and they want to stay there and they want to see it be successful, other than coaching and other than being bought into the mission, from a very practical aspect, what would you advise them to do in order to kind of be part of the solution to, to make their college strong, not only athletically, but just from a financial bottom line and, and from an enrollment bottom line?
2: Yeah, I, I think very generally being actively engaged where you're invited to do that spring ideas, be creative, think of ways that you you can help the school do programs better, create new programs, or expand enrollment. Um, I think one challenge a lot of places are going to face, and I'll use Kansas as an example here, we have Mm -hmm. something like 18 or 19 private colleges in the state. We also have another 19 community colleges and a lot of public colleges as well. One niche, and there's a lot of other states like this, for the small privates has been recruiting athletes. And um, like all Kansas independent colleges that offered athletics in 2015 had just just over 43% of their student body was athletes. In um, one of the conferences, it was 58%. And that doesn't designate between on-campus, off-campus, online, anything like that. Right, so right. it's probably pretty realistic to say a lot of these schools are 75 to 80% of their on-campus student body being athletes. One thing I think coaches can do is... Hit recruitment numbers really work at that piece, which I think there's a lot of motivators for that. One is it helps the institution, but it also, I mean, if you recruit good players, you're gonna you're gonna be better. I mean, the winning's a nice motivator there as well.
1: Coach, a couple of quick notes before you take off uh, that book that he referenced in the podcast: games colleges play. In the show notes, there's a direct link if you want to buy that book on Amazon. It's a good one, so I recommend it. The other thing is that we put uh, Rob Ramsire's contact information in the show notes as well, his email address. So if you want to talk to him or ask follow-up questions directly to him or if you're at a small college program and you just want to, again, have somebody as a sounding board for what you're trying to do, uh, he is a great individual and, and more than willing to answer questions. So, again, all of his contact information is there. Hey, I also want to give a plug before you leave about the upcoming conference that we have in July of 2018, the National Collegiate Recruiting Conference. We're starting really to, to get a lot of coaches, a lot of athletic departments and coaching staff sign up to be a part of that at Boston University, July 17th through the 19th. It's topics like this that we're going to be discussing at the conference. In fact, Dr. Ramsire is going to be one of the speakers at the conference. So if you want more of this and more, just more technique, more ideas, more strategies to take into the next year, do yourself a favor and invest a little bit of time in attending this one-of-a-kind conference that we put together every year for coaches. Uh, we do it for you. It's a lot of speakers, 20-plus speakers coming in over two and a half days of just really intense, good ideas. So you can find out more information on that at com. Just look at the conferences link, and it has all the information about how to sign up either individually, as a coaching staff, or as a department. We would love to see you there. It is going to be, and it always is, a fantastic life-changing event for college coaches who are serious about getting good at this important part of their job. So that's going to do it for today. Keep on listening. Please tell fellow coaches in your department that you're listening to this podcast and that they should too. That increases the audience, which increases the voices that we have coming in that we can interview and talk about and uh, and, and get to share their ideas. So please uh, subscribe, follow, and talk to your fellow coaches within your department and on your staff to be listening every week as we present more and more topics. We have so many good things lined up here in the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited about sharing them with you. But for today, that's going to do it. Thank you for listening once again to the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. I'm Dan Tudor. Coach, have a great week out there.
0: raised on high let's drink a toast as each of us recalls ivy-covered professors in ivy-covered halls turn on the spigot pour the beer and swig it and gaudi amuse get a tour here's two parties we tossed to the games that we lost we shall claim that we won them someday to the girls, young and sweet, to the spacious back seat of our roommate's beat-up Chevrolet, to the beer and Benzedrine, to the way that the dean tried so hard to be pals with us all, to excuses we fibbed, to the papers we cribbed, from the genius who lived down the hall, to the tables down at Maury's, wherever that may be. Let us drink a toast to all we love the best. We will sleep through all the lectures and cheat on the exams And we'll pass and be forgotten with the rest Oh, soon we'll be out amid the cold world's strife Soon we'll be sliding down the razor blade of life But as we go our sordid separate ways, we shall ne'er forget thee, thou golden college days. Hearts full of youth, hearts full of truth, six parts gin to one part vermouth,